You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Let's kind of recap. You guys, you, you guys ever watch TV shows where it's like, it's like to be continued and then they have to recap before they start? You know what I'm saying? Like, previously on Lost. You know what I'm talking about? I almost said Gilmore Girls, but then that would highlight something about me. Um, whoops. Uh, so that's kind of what I need to do right now. So this is the last week working through First and Second Timothy. So the first week, Joe kind of gave a big overview. Um, second week, he kind of talked about salvation and can you lose it? Because um, we see these themes come up over and over again of guys shipwrecking their faith and the Timothys. And last week, previously in Mill Sunday School, we talked about the five trustworthy sayings, but we only talked about three of those five. Were you guys here for this? Do you remember this? <laughs> I, I wasn't here. Okay, so, uh, good, I'll tell you. So, uh, there's five sayings in, in the pastoral epistles, which we'll talk about a little bit later today. There's five sayings, and these sayings are written in a way that's very clear and concise, and it paints a big picture of community in a strong way. Um, like, there's only one other place apart from these five sayings that this wording is used, and that is in John 3.16. And you guys know John 3.16? Yeah, I think. So John 3.16, it's like the cornerstone verse, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You know what I'm talking about? And so it's written in the strong way. It's like, this is very true. This is like the cornerstone of part of our faith, or this is the cornerstone of our faith. Um, and so these five sentences are written like that. And so these sentences were probably memorized by the early church as something that started to form in their community. These easy sentences that were easy to remember, um, it started to define us. So, and I, and I talked about last week about how families have these, groups of friends have these, you know, like mill staff have these. Like Joe and I always say, like, it's not just good, it's good enough. Well, that means, like, where our priorities are sometimes in the right place, where if we, there's a project that's not just good, it's good enough, we'll move on from it. You know what I mean? It defines us. I also told a story about how my parents are here this morning, by the way. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah, you're welcome. It's so awkward when people call you out for stage. Um, but I told a story about how all growing up, we had a saying in my house that said, dads can fix everything but pot metal. Remember how I told that story? And I told that story about how I got the Barbie doll for Christmas, and I ripped it in half and threw it across the room. You guys know, you guys remember that story? Those of you that were here, and sorry, bro, you're missing out. You have to look up the podcast. So I ripped this Barbie in half, but my dad can fix everything but pot metal. So I put it in a little box, and sure enough, dad fixed it, right? It defined our family. We never bought new stuff. We would just let dad fix the old stuff. And now I'm still that way. In my house today, growing up, it's like, I don't try to buy anything. I Craigslist everything, or I just fix broken stuff in ways that it shouldn't even be fixed, but it just works. Do you guys do stuff like that? They're like, no, I just buy stuff. I have a real job. Um, okay, so does anyone remember the first three sayings? Anybody? Last week I said, let's try to live this week learning that these things are true and that we can see them in our lives. Did anyone do that? Busted. See, normally when you get two weeks in a row, when it's just one week, I can't see if you actually did what I said last week. But last week, you're all like, yeah, we'll do that. Nobody? Does anyone remember them at all? If anyone can recite them, I will literally give you money. (laughs) 
I'm actually being serious. I will literally give you money. Nobody? Yep, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That was the first one. What was the second one? I mean, you guys, you're smart. You can just look it up real quick and I'll give you money. Higgins is searching. Everyone's trying to pull up their Bibles. Hopefully the Wi-Fi in here isn't working so you guys have a slower time getting it. Yep, second one is anyone who sets his heart on being overseers, desires a noble task. And the third one, which if you guys can't remember those first two, you're not going to remember the third one. So the third one's tricky because that was the one that we're not really sure which one it is. Do you guys, you guys remember this from last week? So Paul says a statement and then said, this is a trustworthy saying. And then he says the next statement. And we don't really know which statement is the trustworthy saying. It's kind of unfair to say that there's a trustworthy saying and I'll tell you which one it is. And so that last one, um, it was for physical training, is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Or it could be that we have put our hope in the living God, who's the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Right? Remember those? So those were the first three. Christ came to save sinners. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Cool? So that's where we are so far, as of last week. Okay, cool. I'm so disappointed. Um, all right, trustworthy saying number four. So if you open up your Bibles um, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, one thing, and I said this last week, one thing that I've been loving right now in life is when I meet with my dinner group and we just read scriptures out loud together. It's, it's kind of like a lost thing sometimes of like slowing down listening and having to listen um a lot of times when someone reads scripture out loud to me i i have to close my eyes and it's not because i'm trying to sleep through it but it's because i'm trying to focus on it because i'm the guy where it's like oh look at that tree it looks great in the sunlight i wonder if there's a bird in that tree and then all of a sudden it's like wait was that guy reading a scripture i have no idea what he just said and so i say that to you that if you need to close your eyes or read along with me or whatever you need to do to just be able to soak it in and listen, um, we'll talk about these, okay? And in that, we'll read some more of the context. Because I could read just a straight, straight scripture that says what we're trying to say, but sometimes we lose a little bit of the value of the scripture when we don't read the whole thing, right? And by reading the whole thing, we're not going to read the whole, whole thing. We just don't have that kind of time. Deal? You can do that at home. Uh, all right, Second Timothy chapter 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. Ready? If we died with him, 
we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, we will also dis- he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Cool? And we'll stop there because it kind of goes into another section. So I really like this one. Um, this one's kind of cool, and it highlights something to us, and it specifically highlights something to me. Um, this was probably a, a hymn, like a song that was sung. Um, which, for me, as like the worship guy, like if you come on Friday nights, I lead worship with my wife normally at the mill. And we put a great emphasis on like the songs that we sing and why we sing them. Because it starts to define us, right? Like, <laughs> last week I asked you to remember three sentences. And Higgins only remembered one and two after he looked one up. And I was really specific, like, memorize these, right? You remember that? Okay, sweet. It's good, but at least we can move on from it. So, but when we sing songs on Friday nights and we sing them over and over again, or at church when we sing these same songs over and over again, there's a point where, like, it's like, man, I'm sick of singing this song. I sung this song because I was, like, three years old. But you know what? That stuff is in you. By the time you're actually sick of a song is by the time you remember it. Unless you're like my wife, who's kind of a freak, and she can hear a song once and know all the words. Like she sings along with it the next time. Are any of you guys like that? Yeah, we, we got two. Sweet. And so these things are in us, and they're part of us. And as worship leaders, it's like, it's my job. It's our job to kind of make sure that we're teaching the right things by what we're singing. Um, a couple weeks ago, do you guys know Glenn Packiam? You know Glenn? Short Malaysian dude, teaches downtown. The dude's a genius. Uh, probably one of the guys that's been like most influential in my whole life. Um, but we went to this random conference in Connecticut a couple weekends ago, and he shared this stuff in front of a room full of worship leaders and said, what does your church believe about God according to the songs you sing? And they said, oh crap. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, we sing about how he loves us a lot, but we don't know much else about that because of the songs we sing, which is kind of scary. Um, for a lot of us and how we sing and lead worship. And so this is a song that the early church probably had memorized. And this is probably one of those songs um, that when they went through trials and things that were difficult, it was so in them that it was probably the thing that they muttered under their breath. It was the thing that they repeated over and over again. Um, do you guys have songs like that? I know I do. I know like, for me, growing up, we sang like a lot of hymns growing up at church. And even when stuff's hard, like a couple a month or two ago, and I've been wanting to sing the song at the mill, I just haven't done it, but do you guys know like the hymn, Solid Rock? My hope is built on nothing less. Well, like that song, like when I had a hard time, that song is just in me. I don't think I know it until like someone starts playing it, and then I realize I can sing the whole thing. Do you guys do that with songs? You're like, wait, I actually really know this. And so I was having like this really tough day, and it wasn't that, it wasn't the memory of like straight sentences from a sermon that I remembered. It was a song. It's like, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Like, I shall not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Right? And there's this truth in that song that sticks with me. It says, no, this is you. Your hope, the name of Jesus, because of your life and death and resurrection. I have hope in this. Does that make sense? And so that's why I think I love this one. Um... Can we be, like, really nerdy for, like, the next five minutes? Can we do that? Okay. Because this stuff, and this might help you when we read Old Testament things. So we know a little bit about Paul, right? 
We know that Paul is a Jewish guy, right? We know these things about Paul. He grew up. He's really well educated. He knew all these things. And so in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, you can see this in the Psalms a lot. You can see this in the Proverbs a lot. But it's called parallelism. Cool, right? You're like, what what does that mean? Um, Okay, so parallelism. It's like a form of poetry that they use in the Old Testament. And this is one of the major indicators that we even know that this is is a song. Because it's filled with parallelism. Cool? So I, I just want to share with you like three different versions of parallelism. So when you go to church later today, you can be like, oh, that's what that guy did. So like when guys write new, hip, cool like worship songs, you're like, dude, he stole that idea from the Psalms. Sometimes they literally steal the idea from the Psalm, like word for word, and that's cool. Um, but this is also the bigger idea. Okay, so the first one um, is synonymous, synonymous parallelism. Okay, so like in these sentences— there's actually, <laughs> there's actually none of this kind in this hymn that Paul points out, but I have to point it out because there's three versions, and I don't want to, like, shortchange you. I don't want you to come to Mill Sunday School and feel shortchanged. That would suck, right? I don't think I'm allowed to say that word at Mill Sunday School. Um, okay, so synonymous is like when you say the same thing over and over again, but it's kind of different. You know, like in I Am Free? You guys know I Am Free? The John Egan tune where it's like, I am free to run, I am free to dance, I am free to live. He's saying different things, but really he's saying the same thing over and over again, right? He's, he's free. He doesn't have the same guilt, the same bondages. He's free to run. He's free to live. He's free to do whatever, right? So that's like the synonymous one, okay? So the second one is synthetic parallelism. So if you're writing this down, you can journal about it later and think about it. So synthetic is when the second half of a, a phrase completes the first half, Okay? So, um, in this trustworthy saying, I'll just read the trustworthy saying again. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful. So, the first line in that, or sorry, the two middle lines in that are the synthetic lines, where the second half of the sentence, or the second half of the phrase, completes the first half. Does that make sense? So, like, um, if we endure... Then the completing thought of that is, he will also, we will also reign with him, right? Or the other one is, if we disown him, he will also disown us. So that completes those ideas, right? You're just like, what the heck is he talking about? So there's only one, there's only one parallelism left that we need to define, which they also use in this. And this is antithetical. So you can write that down. Antithetical parallelism. I told you. I have two minutes left to be nerdy. I asked for five, and you all agreed to it. I have two minutes left. Um, antithetical parallelism is when you use opposites to explain the same thing. And we see that in this verse, right? So, if we died with him, we will also live with him. Death and life are opposites, right? So, it's this, it articulates the same idea, but they use opposites to do it. If we are faithless, he will be faithful. Right? And the cool part about seeing some of these things, because if you, if you really write those down and you read the Psalms later, it'll make far more sense to you. Um, it'll, or not far more sense, but it'll highlight maybe something that hasn't been highlighted before when you've read those Psalms. Where it's like, oh, he's really trying to make one point here. Like this and this and this all equal the same main idea. Or it also shows the strength of the opposite 
character between us and God, right? And that's the beauty of it. When we're faithless, when we don't do things right, he's still there. He's still faithful. He's not going anywhere. You can't change his mind about you. He loves you. He's going to come after you. He's going to wait for you, right? It highlights those differences, which is cool. So if you guys are like into poetry and are looking for like ancient ways to write poems, you now know about parallelism, right? And I don't think we've ever talked about that in here. Um, A lot of new songwriting guys try to study old stuff like that so they can maybe figure out how to write better songs. Not saying that I've ever done that. Um, Okay, so there's one last thing I want to define about this trustworthy saying, the fourth one, um, is I just want to talk about the disowning and the faithless. There's there's lines three and four of that song, right? So I'll read it again, so hopefully by the end of it, it'll start to be in us. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Um, and so, the Bible is pretty clear. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago, about losing your salvation. Um, I forget who said it, but they defined it like, someone said, I think that um, if I sin, I don't lose my salvation, but if I clearly disown clearly say, God, I have no interest in you whatsoever. Get out of my lap. I don't want you. Then that's how we can lose our salvation. Did you say that? Yeah. So someone said that a couple weeks ago. Um, and there's, there's points in the Bible where we see this idea of disowning, right? We see Jesus say this, which, which these are kind of hard to uh, stomach. But so Jesus says in Matthew 10, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven which is a pretty, like, chilling statement, I think. Um, he also says it in Mark 8. Jesus says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also, or will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Those are pretty chilling and not really that comforting of ideas. Um, the disowning of Christ, the disowning of those things. Um, and we see that in the parables, Right? When Jesus is talking in the parables, um, and they come to him, and he says, look, I never knew you. You disowned me, um, which is really hard. So, but this idea, um, if we disown him, he will disown us. The following line in that, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, which in some areas may feel like those two things contradict themselves. Um, but I think the best way I could understand it is how we explained it a couple weeks ago. Um, when, when Paul is writing here in this song, um, of this hymn, when he's talking about being faithless, he's not talking about um, disowning him. There's actually a separate idea here. So like faithless, there's lots of times that since I have been saved and I have fully received Christ and all these things inside of me that have been so great, I've made dumb choices, right? Do any of you guys make dumb choices? <laughs> Good. Well, it's not just me in here. So we make dumb choices and we screw things up and we do things that we shouldn't be doing, right? We are faithless in some of those actions. And in those actions, our great king, our Jesus Christ, who came down and took the cross and resurrected for us, is still faithful. He's not given up on us. He's still there. Does that make sense? So do we see the difference between the disowning idea and the being faithless idea? Like there's nothing you could really do to screw up God's love for you. You can't really screw it up. 
But maybe there is something that you could screw up and say you fully reject him. Then there might be a thing there. Does that make sense? All right. We can move on. Um, and so there's actually this one quote kind of sums up that idea the best. Do you guys know N.T. Wright? Yeah. Joe talks about N.T. Wright. He's like way smarter than all of us. Um, but he said, there's a world of difference between being blown off the ships of uh, being off the... Let me start over. There is a world of difference between being blown off the ship's deck by a hurricane and volunteer, voluntarily... Gosh, dang it. Third time's a charm. <clears throat> there is a world of difference between being blown off the ship's deck by a hurricane and voluntarily diving into the sea to avoid having to stay at the helm. Does that make sense? So that was his smart... It took me three times just to read it. Um, my gosh. And so, but that's his idea. So there's a difference between saying, look, I'm out. I don't want any part of this. And saying like, look, I'm trying. I'm just getting beat up and I'm not doing it right. Because there's still a hurricane around me. Right? Is that clear? All right. So that's trustworthy saying number four. And we got one left. You guys ready? Yes. Okay, so... I'm going to cheat a little bit. So this month is about First and Second Timothy, right? But we're not going to talk about Timothy now. We're moving on to Titus. And so Joe said I could. I asked. Um, so Titus is, First and Second Timothy and Titus um, are called the pastoral epistles. Have you guys heard that before? Hopefully you have because I said it last week. Whoops. Got him. Uh, so last week we talked about how Titus is in this. So they're called the pastoral epistles for a few reasons. Um, one, Timothy and Titus are both young pastors, young ministers who are trying to start this church and starting to do these great works. And Paul, as their like pastor, mentor, coach, is writing them these letters, right? So we remember that they're letters, and we can see that they're kind of instructions to them. But they're also great because they can be instructions for us. So it's pastoral letters, pastoral epistles, because Paul is being pastoral to these two guys, and these two guys are also being pastoral to the people around them, right? Like we talked about last week, all the rules for being an overseer in a church or being a deacon in a church. We see all those rules because these guys are trying to start churches and starting to start this new, fairly new body of believers, right? And so I will say... Um, that this is, again, a good par- part to remind ourselves that the Bible was not written to us, but for us. So we can learn from these letters to Timothy. We can learn from these letters um, to Titus, but they weren't written to us, right? They were written to Timothy and Titus. So it's good to remember. Um, they're also written around the same time. So like First Timothy and Titus were actually kind of written in the same time period by Paul. Does that make sense? So when you read 1 Timothy and you read Titus, it's like, wow, these have similar ideas. Well, yeah. He's writing the similar ideas to a couple different guys to hopefully get these points across to these guys so that they can grow churches. Does that make sense? Clear as mud? Um, say that there's anything else about that. So yeah, so the book of Titus, although it's small, it's kind of broken up into three things. It's talking about leadership in the church. It's talking about right living in the church. Um, and then it also talks about Right living in society, which is where we get our trustworthy saying. Deal? Does everyone make sense why Titus fits into Timothy's? 
Yeah? Okay, so even though I'm cheating and we're talking about the Timmies and now we're not talking about the Timmies, at least we'll make sense of why we're there. Cool? All right, open up your Bibles, Titus 3. So, and I'll just tell you before we start, the trustworthy saying actually starts around verse 3. So as we're reading it together, um, we'll say that it is a trustworthy saying after we have finished saying it. Okay? So the last one, it was like, here's the saying, now we read it. This one will be, here's this big long saying, which is pretty long, and then we know it's trustworthy. Deal? Okay. So, uh, Titus chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to, sh- to show true humility toward all men. At one time, we, this is where it starts, by the way. At one time, we were too foolish. We too were foolish. Disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive man or a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So this trustworthy saying is really big, and there's a lot of big ideas here. Um, Some of the cool part is if we look back and we see um, that these match up with the Timothys by the same author for the same purpose, we see kind of matching ideas, right? So in the first, those of you that were here last week or maybe remember, the first one, the first trustworthy saying is that Christ came to save sinners, right? So this is a similar idea as that, where he unpacks this thing, but he just expounds on it. So it's not just a sentence. Like in my Bible, it's like a full chunk. You know what I mean? Um, But again, this idea of the early church remembering these things defined them. To say like, look, we all hated each other. We stunk at this stuff. We couldn't live without Christ. And now he came by our renewal and washing. He adds that. He adds the renewal and washing, which he didn't say when his letter to Timothy uh, about Christ coming to save sinners, right? And if you were in this time, like we just mentioned, that uh, these letters were written for us, not to us. So if you were in this time, when you read washing, um, it was an idea that would have let you think about baptism. It, that's the kind of the context when they read that. When we read it, it's like, oh, washing, like taking a shower or washing my hands or washing my face so I don't get zits. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, people. Um, so that's kind of how we think about it, but they clearly thought of it as baptism. So when Paul was talking about washing, um, baptism was this idea that you 
join the community of believers around you where you publicly commit. And we see this idea uh, multiple times in Scripture. We see it in Romans 6. We see it in Colossians 3. Um, so if you're taking notes, you could write those down and look it up later. Um, but it's, it's a public declaration of stuff that's happening inside of us. Baptism. Have you guys ever heard anyone talk about baptism before? And so it is those things. Being baptized doesn't necessarily save you. It's normally because of your choices and you committing to Christ publicly um, is when baptism happens, right? And there's something um, special about baptism. If you haven't been baptized and you are saved, I think you should. There, there's something really special about it. In, in the scriptures, if you read those scriptures, it'll help you understand it more. But it is this public declaration. Um, like on Easter, uh, this last Easter we did baptisms. Where, was anybody there for that? Like three of you? Yeah, it was awesome. So they took this whole group of people in front of the whole church and then said all these things like, do you believe in Christ? Do you believe he died and rose again? Have you repented? Have you done these things? And they had to say yes in front of everybody. So in front of the whole church or all the people that showed up, the three of you that showed up, they, they said, yeah, I believe in this and I believe in this and I believe in this. And then when they came over to get baptized, when they get baptized, um, like I got to help with that. And it's so honoring. It like, Every time I do that, it's probably the best part of my whole job. And I can't explain it. But we say to them, we say, because of your confession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the powerful name of Jesus. We get it all in there. Because there's different belief systems about the right saying. But right? So we say, because of your confession of faith, now we baptize you. Does that make sense? So it is this public corporate thing. And it is a big deal. If you go to um, other cultures... Um, and if you grew up in other religious cultures and your parents um, or Buddhists or whatever, they don't mind if their kids who are trying to search out their faith go to a Christian church. They don't really care. They do, but they don't really care. But if that, if that son or daughter gets baptized, that is when it becomes a big deal for that Buddhist family or the whatever family, whatever different religious background that came from. Does that make sense? Because when you get baptized, it's like, look, I'm showing everybody. Everyone knows that this is what I stand for. It's a, it's a physical representation of this inner thing of me going to the grave with Christ and rising with him, leaving my death, leaving my sin, leaving this junk that's in me, right? And so that's what uh, Paul is talking about. This washing, this rebirth um, happens there. He talks about it in context of scripture, or context of baptism, the rebirth that, that idea, the rebirth, that sense, really only shows up a couple times in the New Testament. And it's really in reference to baptism. Does that make sense? So I would encourage you to do that. And then there's one last thing, and then we'll end a little bit early so you can talk with your friends that you just made 30 minutes ago. Um, but in this um, ch- last chapter, before the trustworthy saying, after the trustworthy saying, there's lots of ideas about how we should live life with each other, Right? Not picking fights with people, not being quarrelsome, not arguing about worthless genealogies and laws. And we do that, right? We can do that in here. A couple weeks ago when we started talking about Arminianism and Calvinism and all that stuff, some of it some of you guys really love that stuff. Like Higgins will always pick a fight with you, even if he doesn't agree with what he's saying himself. Those of you that have been to Sunday school know that he does that. Because he likes it. And that's fine. 
It's great that he's that way. It's great that there's people that in our faith have great ideas and can decide these things, right? But really, when it comes down to it, we just need to love people. We need to take care of them. We need to love our friends. And if we have conflicts with our friends, we need to be mature enough to work through that stuff. Because it's going to stink. If you're friends with someone long enough, you're going to pick some fights, right? I talk about this stuff constantly, I feel like. But we don't really believe it. So we need to believe it. We need to believe that part of community will be hard, but we do need to love each other. We need to take care of each other. If you go outside the walls of this church and you start meeting people anywhere, if you start going to Braggate and start talking to non-Christian people and you start arguing with them about why Calvinism's real and why Arminianism isn't real, who cares? They're not going to care. And they're just going to think you're weird. Because you are weird if you do that. Uh, which, on a side note, we are part of a body together, right? So when you guys do something weird, it affects all of us. So we just knock it off. You know what I'm talking about? Like, even last week, there was some, like, Baptist preacher that said some stuff he probably shouldn't have said. But now, when people ask me, they're like, do you think that too? It's like, dang it. Stupid dude. Quit saying stuff, making me look bad, right? So how about we take care of each other by not being idiots? Uh, That was extra. That wasn't in my notes. (laughs) Just something I've been thinking about. So the cool part about these scriptures, if we read chapter 3 over and over again, this thing that will get in us is that we are to reflect this, this kindness of God, that Christ came in his kindness to set us free because of who he is, because he's loving and compassionate, right? And the coolest part about um, us living out this kindness is that there's like kind of like two ways to see it. The first way to see us living in love and kindness and generosity with each other is that it's our response to it, right? If you think about, and even Paul mentions this in the first letters to Timothy, and he mentions it here, all the stuff that you've done wrong, like when in first Timothy, when Paul says, look, I'm, I'm the best sinner of all of you. If any of you have messed up, I've messed up more. If you think about what Christ has saved you from, the response should be, well, I'm, I want to love people. I want to be gracious with people. When people make mistakes in my life, Christ was gracious with me when he shouldn't have. So I want to be gracious to people when I shouldn't be, right? It's a response that comes out of us naturally. Um, but this, the second part, which is, I think is really cool, um, and it's the same idea that we still live in love and kindness, but we become, we become God to people. God uses us, and through us, people can see God's love and kindness and graciousness in a real physical way that makes sense, right? So when we have friends right now that are traveling the world and going to South Africa, they are being a physical, tangible thing that people can see. Oh, that God is real. God loves me. You traveled. 36 hours straight and raised $3,500 each just so you could come over and hang out with me for a day. That communicates something. Um, whether how you believe about missions or whatever you think about that, it communicates something. So we become these representatives by the power of the Holy Spirit, which it says here, chapter 3, the power of the Holy Spirit, which is generously poured on us. We get to be the light and the salt and all these things to the people around us, to the world around us. Does that make sense? So this love and kindness idea is a response. And so you can see the fruit of our response. When we think about all the stuff Christ has done for us, we should respond that way. 
But on another note, that might hold more responsibility depending on how you look at it, is that we become these representations of God's love and kindness, which is a big deal. So when I said, like, don't be weird and be idiots and be offensive because we all are affected by that, it's true. You are representing something much bigger than you, much bigger than this church on the north side of Colorado Springs, much bigger than that. You're representing this great God that poured out his love and kindness and gracious forgiveness on you, which is a big deal. And so um, those are kind of the things. These trustworthy sayings are these things that can start, if we really live by all these things, it could start to change us. It could, it could change the way we see church leadership. It could change the way we view Christ and his loving kindness for us. Um, it'll change the way we see life in this way that like, Life is long, and it's hard, and it's difficult, but he's given us the ability to keep going. There's hope in Christ, right? Okay, so I'll read them all to you one last time just to prove that point. Deal? Can we just read them one more time, and then we'll call it not just good, but good enough? All right. All right, so the first one. You guys remember the first one from last week? Christ came into the world to save sinners. It's the first one. Second one. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Right? Those are good ones. And then the three that are kind of two, let's just call it a twofer, and we can move on. Uh, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is also three. That we have put our hope in the living God, who is Savior of all men, and especially those who believe. Right? So then the fourth one, just make sure I read them all right to you, is the hymn, right? We just talked about it today. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And the last one, which is a long one, says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. So, Father God, we come before you this morning. And we pray that these five ideas that Paul puts out in these pastoral letters would become things that define us as your believers. That we will live lives knowing that being an overseer and taking care of your church and your body is a noble thing. That we know that Christ came to save us. And we know that we were messed up in a wreck before. And you have come and you have set us as heirs. You have called us and asked us to be your representations. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for these ideas and scriptures that will change us. It's not just these lofty things that we can sit down and study academically, although they are those, but that it's bigger than that. It's things that can really change and move in us. So Holy Spirit, as your word says, you are poured out graciously on us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you continue to work in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for coming to Mill Sunday School. Come back next week and hear the growthies. Deal? I love you. Peace out. 
Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.